Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mdiwa Gavaza, and for today, we are getting into the literal health of uh, the economy. Uh, we're going to be chatting to the team at uh, Discovery Health, um, you know, about, you know, the state of, uh, you know, the health and the economy um, right now. And to help us to make sense of that, we are joined by uh, Dion Patsa, who is Chief Product uh, is the chief product officer. Chief product, product officer. officer. Yes, at uh, Discovery Health. And the conversation that we're hoping to understand is the fact that uh, the economy, you know, as an economist, we I take the economy as being a collective, you know, of the different uh, people, the bodies. Obviously, you've got the assets and all that, but it's the people that make up the economy. So if we're going to be gaining, uh, you know, the health of the economy, it's literally, it's literally correlated to the health of individuals, um, you know, in the country. And, um, you know, against all of that stuff, we're just going to be making a sense of, you know, where are South Africans right now when it comes to, you know, paying for medical care in South Africa and all of that. So that's the discussion that we're hoping to have. I am at Discovery, uh, so thank you so much, uh, Dion, for being with us today. It's a pleasure. It um, sounds like an exciting topic and one that we're very happy to participate in, given that it's, I guess, the bread and butter of Discovery Health is making people healthier. So <laughs> glad to be having the discussion, yes. So I've made an assertion to say that the health of the economy is literally rather the health of individual South Africans is literally the health of the economy. Keen to get your 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 thoughts on that. Am I stretching too far? Am I, you know, in the right direction? Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. I guess and I can I can respond maybe with a sort of three in to that in three parts. Yeah. All of which kind of I guess is corroborated by the data that Discovery has. I guess if you just think about the individual an individual's sort of ability to work is very much linked to their to their health. Yeah. If you're in poor health, it's simply not an option for you to be to be working. Mm-hmm. Um, and hence, there are products that look after people when they are not unable to work. Mm-hmm. And those products are a function of those products are a function of um, those products are a function of, I guess, the, the risk that you become so ill that you that you can't work. So at the individual level, certainly your 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 comment makes perfect sense that you know the health, the ability of a person to be economically active is yeah. very much linked to to their health then. Um, then if I if I take it to sort of an organizational level and I think about someone that employs many people, certainly the data that we have shows that the health of that workforce is one of the things that determines the productivity of that of that workforce. Yeah. And we've done studies in our own organization in terms of understanding how well people are yeah. um, and how productive they are. And there are clear correlations between the productivity of a workforce and the health of the workforce. Yeah. And then there's been international studies that looks at it sort of at a at a um, at a national level, um, where it's also clear that Economies that have a healthy population typically have a high GDP and greater increases in GDP on an, on an annual basis. So 
And and I think if you take it back to sort of the individual and you say, then sort of say, well, if to your point, the economy is a function of the people yeah. and you kind of aggregate the health of everybody, then I guess those three anecdotes or those three pieces of research data points points to the fact that the health of an the health of an economy is intricately linked to the health of the people. Mm. It is a very interesting space to be in, um, Dion, because one of the most topical things right now is obviously um, this debate around NHI, National Health Insurance. Discovery has weighed in quite a bit, you know, in that discussion. I'm not here to talk about NHI, you know, per se, but rather um, one of the aspects is, let's say, affordability. To say, where are we right now? You know, what is the data telling us about affordability in South Africa? Are South Africans accessing healthcare? I like the fact that you brought up um, companies just now because that is uh, one of the biggest ways, at least to my knowledge, that a lot of people have access to healthcare through company schemes, um, government schemes, organizational schemes, employment schemes, that type of thing. So just, you know, where, where do we stand on that front? Yeah, and um, so I guess you've got to distinguish between um, th- sort of the delivery of healthcare okay. and then paying for that healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in any sort of reasonable reasonable economy, like any service that's being rendered is going to have to be paid for, regardless of who renders the service. I mean, public servants that work in the public health sector are being paid for the service that they deliver in the same way, I guess, that um, healthcare providers working in the private sector are being paid for the services that they that they deliver. So I guess the, the, the funding issue of paying for healthcare is not sort of different, whether it's the private healthcare sector or the, or the public healthcare sector. There's, yeah. a, there's an underlying need to pay for, the, for those healthcare services. I think the thing that comes into it is that um, some healthcare services, the cost of those are so great that it is impossible for me and you to cover it from as part of our day-to-day expenses or from sort of our monthly income or weekly wages or um, you know retire or our pension or our pension fund, yeah. um, and hence the concept of insurance, the the concept of pooling a number of people's funds. So that if one of the people in that pool becomes sick, that the pool looks after them by paying for their paying for their health paying for their healthcare. Um, in South Africa, that pooling mechanism is medical schemes, yeah. and those medical schemes are constrained by a number of rules and regulations as set out in the Medical Schemes Act and the regulations to the Medical Schemes Act. Right, yeah. and I guess that is the basis off of which. I guess the the vast majority of people in South Africa are funding their access to private healthcare yeah. is by pre-funding it or insuring it through through medical through medical schemes. So I guess when it comes down to sort of the question of affordability, yeah. it's less about sort of your your ability to pay what a healthcare service provider charges for their service and more about sort of how can you pay to belong to a medical to, to a medical scheme. And I hope that sort of makes sense yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> to, the, to the listeners that, you know, there are people that access private healthcare out of pocket yeah. um, and they go to a doctor, the doctor asks, going on your medical aid? You go, no, I'm not. And they say, okay, well, here's the bill and you 
take money out of your wallet and pay for pay for the service. There certainly are people that access healthcare in that in that way, but there's a huge a large number of people, nine million people in fact in South Africa that belong to a medical scheme, and the medical scheme then sort of pays um, for their for their healthcare services. Of course, what the medical scheme can and cannot pay is then determined by a number of things. One of it is what the medical schemes act and the regulations to that act allows the medical scheme to pay for. And another is, I guess, what the pool can afford to yeah. pay for. Once you've paid everything into that pot, what can the pool afford to pay for the members that have contributed yeah. towards it then? So that's the one aspect. And I guess then the other aspect of that is um, those that do not belong to a medical scheme, what are the options for them then, other than simply paying out of pocket? Yeah. And when it comes to where people stand, um, you know, from medical, uh, that ability to, to be part of a medical scheme uh, that you're talking about. Uh, maybe you could talk us through the rationale that goes behind. I'm for simplicity, I'm going to call them prices yes. because I know in your universe, there's probably other terms, premiums, you know, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know that... Um, uh, Discovery recently raised its premiums. So maybe you could talk to us because that's something that is, you know, impacting many South Africans there. You know, the, you've got that increase. But maybe you could talk to us about oh, before you even arrive at that point, what's working into that equation? Yes. Like, and how do you decide, okay, fine, uh, is is 7% a good number, 3, 10? Like, what's, what's, what's being factored in there? A lot of other types of businesses simply say, inflation and then they, they 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 keep things going but maybe you could maybe give us a little bit more nuance around how discovery it thinks about it absolutely yeah it's an it's an important question i i always try and explain to people that i guess the the cost of a healthcare service to an individual is the cost of the healthcare service so if i go to the doctor and the doctor charges me 430 rand for the consultation that was the cost of healthcare was 430 rand once you get into that concept of pooling that I just described, so many people contributing towards a pool, um, and then the pool paying healthcare expenses on behalf of the members of that pool, the member of the, the members of the medical scheme, there's another factor that comes into consideration. So not just the price of that consultation, not just the 430 rand that you pay to the doctor, but the number of times that people that contribute towards the pool claim for a 430 rand consultation from the doctors. Those are the two factors that determine the cost of, say, that, that benefit to pay for a consultation with a GP. Yeah. So it's price and frequency or utilization, as we call it in sort of health insurance. Yeah. So those are the two factors that influence it. So when we look at sort of the price, the contribution, the premium, call it what you may, but the, what you put into the pool and how much that has to be increased by, you have to consider two, those two factors. You have yeah. to consider, well, firstly, the price of that consultation, the 430 Rand that was paid for the GP consult, what is that going to be next year? Like, yeah. by, like what is the doctor going to raise that tariff by? Mm -hmm. Or what is the medical scheme willing to raise that tariff by? So that's the first. And then the second is, how many more people are going to use that service next year as opposed to this year? Um, how often are people going to go to the doctor? So those are the two things that influence it then. Yeah. In our experience, what typically happens is that the price of healthcare, that cost of the healthcare service, um, goes up by inflation. 
by um, um, the consumer price index. Um, so if we kind of do a study of the last 10 years and we take the price of healthcare, so the doctors, tariffs, etc., and we look at those increases over time, those are very close to the consumer price index, okay. just above or below. Yeah. Um, but the thing that drives it up by more is the fact that more people are using that service year on year. If I, if it, if I think about sort of a group of 100 people um, and all of them are sort of 40 years old today, in 10 years' time, they'll all be 50 years old. And it's reasonable to expect that as 50-year-olds, they're going to be using healthcare services more often than when they were 40, year old, 40 years old. Um, so the price of the, the cost of the healthcare service that they access in 10 years' time has gone up by CPI. But the fact that those 100 people use that service more often pushes up that, the cost to the pool by even more, if that makes sense. I before you continue, sure. I'm trying to understand. I want to just make sure that people understand the cost to the pool aspect uh, properly, because usually with demand side inflation, we literally just say that um, the more that people demand a certain service, um, the more, or some people would literally say it's an incentive for the supply side to push up prices, whereas others would say that. Um, if demand side goes up, then in certain cases, the costs to supply increase. Yes. Where are we here? So, so it's a good point that you raise because we actually split utilization, that sort of increase in the frequency with which people help use healthcare service into two parts. We split it into supply side and demand side. Yeah. Um, the supply side is typically influenced by the supply of new technology and new services. So as, as the um, sophistication in terms of the treatment of certain conditions or um, the sophistication in certain procedures um, improve with science, yeah. so, the, the, um, so the frequency with, with which those are used also increases, increases then. So there's an increased supply of healthcare and that pushes up part of it. Yeah. And then there's the demand side, the fact that people are getting older, the fact that people are getting sicker and hence using more healthcare. Those are the two factors. In terms of where we are with those two things, I would say that currently supply side contributes maybe a third towards overall utilization and the balance comes from two thirds comes from demand side and that demand side if we can break it down into certain elements a large part of that comes down to people living with chronic illnesses more so than they have in the past um, if i take if i just take discovery health medical scheme as an example 15 years ago less than 12 percent of the population um, were being treated actively for a chronic illness. Today, it's more than 30% of the population on the medical scheme is being treated actively for a chronic illness. Yeah. And that has a real effect on the frequency with which people use healthcare and hence on the cost of healthcare to the medical scheme. So that's actually an interesting, what you call this, um, an interesting insight. Uh, and one of the things that I was not thinking about as you were talking is... Um, if I was to think about this, and I think we're about to get a little bit into the weeds, if we aren't already, is if I look at it, um, 
along the lines of, let's say, a bell curve. There's, so, there's probably a certain, certain parameters within which you expect, you know, you know, the normal, you know, this is, this is the normal frequency within which people are going to visit healthcare uh, professionals. This is how much is being spent. There's that that's there. But when I now think of the aging piece that you mentioned just now, what does that do? Right. And I'm asking, what does that do? Because one of the big things I've interacted with Discovery for a few years now, and there's always just this underarching message to be say, um, we need to promote a healthier population. But, you know, certain conditions are just, you know, a, a matter of age as opposed to um, anything else. So what does that do in terms of your 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 bell curve right if you if 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 population ages right how does that affect everything else behind it let's say we're well, living healthy but a portion of your population but because people are aging all the time anyway right do you still have like a normalization where it's like okay fine as long as people are living healthy then we stay you know relatively within this mm -hmm. band i hope the way i've asked it makes sense <laughs> Yeah, I guess maybe a, a couple of comments there. I guess the, the medical the medical scheme and kind of health insurance in general are sort of also subject to the Pareto principle, which is, you know, there's, there's a small proportion of the population is kind of responsible for the majority of the claims and the majority of the population are responsible for a small proportion of the claims, like the 80-20 principle. So that we typically see there. I guess the principle of people like aging and needing healthcare at some point in time, that's inevitable. Uh, I think that's that's part of being human. Um, I guess what we're seeing is that people are getting sicker sooner or people are living in poor health for longer than they have in the past. Yeah. Um, and that is problematic. If it was the same all the time, which is, you know, that the people are getting sicker at the same point in time, people are living in the same amount of time in poor health than they have in the past, yeah. then medical schemes will actually be okay because as long as you've got like the same, the, the same ratio of healthy people to sick people in the scheme, then, then costs should go up um, in the same way year on year. But as a result of sort of people getting sicker sooner and people um, living in poor health for longer, yeah. that creates the cost pressures that, um, that, are, that are faced by, by medical schemes. And I mean, we're not, we're not the only one, I, I guess all medical schemes in South Africa and the public sector in South Africa. And then also, I guess, you know, international experience shows that this is a function of sort of an, an, uh, a worldwide population, a global population that is simply not as healthy as they could be. And so I wanted to make a comment on that, which is to say that often we measure the health of a, of a population by their use of the healthcare system. Yeah. And I think it's the wrong metric. You should be measuring the health of a population by how little they use the healthcare system, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because the, you know, for many people that belong to a medical scheme or, you know, contribute towards health insurance, don't expect to ever use that they do it out of fear for <laughs> what may happen but they don't ever expect it to they don't ever expect it to happen and as long as the that price that you pay for that premium um, 
justifies kind of that, you know, the, the risk that you think you're facing. Um, you'll have healthy people contributing. But as soon as the cost is so large relative to what you think you might need from the healthcare system, then people just say, it's too expensive. I'm not going to join. <laughs> so affordability, coming back to your question around sort of affordability, affordability is also a matter of it's not the same for everyone. And let me give you an example. A family, um, a family that's got a family member living with cancer um, and they face expensive treatments, the affordability of a medical scheme plan for them is completely different to the affordability of a medical scheme plan of a family where all family members are in perfect health. Um, so where the one kind of like there's a, there's a real need, they understand the need, and hence they will kind of pay the premium in order to kind of fund that need. Yeah. For them, affordability is very different to the family that says, you know what, it's just too expensive. We don't see the need for this. And I think one has to consider kind of the impact of your own personal health and how affordable healthcare is. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. You know, what you mentioned just now about metrics, uh, it reminds me of uh, the the gun debate that's happening in the United States. I've seen some data that suggests to say, because part of, you know, some people argue to say that, you know, murder rates in certain cities, because this is a huge debate in the U.S., people say that murder rates in certain cities in the U.S. have come down. But what some researchers have, have realized is that, yes, murder by the definition of someone being, let's say, shot and dying has come down, but shootings have actually gone up. What's improved is the health care, right? The type of care that existed in the 60s is not comparable, right? A person can, be, can get life-saving care today that was not accessible 50 years ago. So you could literally have the same number of shootings, but less people dying, and then you have a, a smaller murder rate <laughs> right so i was just <laughs> i was i was just uh, thinking about it just now about your you know that distinction that you made to say uh, we need to maybe sometimes uh, measure how healthy a population is based on how much they don't use healthcare because that's the you know i guess that shows that people are actually what you call this uh, actually healthy yeah so it was a yeah and good health this is a very interesting one but on the point that you made about people living um in poor health for longer right where we are right now one of the things that we speak about quite a lot on the platform is uh, the 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 pressure that is on consumers uh, pressures on uh consumer pressure high interest rates, high inflation, all of this stuff that's working against consumers. And you worked us through the rationale when you guys, you know, think about your own pricing and all that. From the data, you know, for... I guess I could break it up, but let me start with people that are uninsured. Mm. People that are uninsured... Right. What is the likelihood that a person actually goes and seeks out care mm. if they just do not have the money? Yeah. 
I mean, this is a this is a great question. It was actually the subject of a bit of research that we did recently into the uninsured market in South Africa to understand kind of like how they access healthcare and how they meet their healthcare needs. We focused specifically on primary healthcare. So this is not where you have to go to hospital to be treated in hospital, but actually just an acute illness. In a, in a, what we found was that the first port of call for many people facing an acute illness is the pharmacy, um, looking for some sort of assistance from a pharmacist. Yeah. So describe the symptoms and, this, and the pharmacist dispenses some medicine that they are allowed to dispense um, to treat, the, to treat the, the symptoms that the patient is showing. So in the majority of cases, that's the first port of call for many people is then going to the pharmacy and self-medicating in order to treat what they, um, what they, the illness that they have. Secondly, second to that is then to go to the to a doctor, um, and that is substitutive to the um, to the public sector clinics, yeah. um, and sometimes that's simply to bypass um, a, a waiting a waiting line or because of the pressures of having to be at work um, and not having the luxury of um, 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 queuing for queuing for healthcare, so the immediacy of like then um, seeing a doctor. So often we see those those two um, those are the two sort of most common ways in which people access private healthcare when faced with an acute when faced with an acute illness. Yes, uh, and a very interesting one for me is does because I guess it would make sense that a person that is insured will seek out healthcare, but does that necessarily follow? Not really. <laughs> um, not, re- not really. I guess th- there are people who sort of seek out more healthcare simply because they can, <laughs> um, but those are in the minority. I, I think it is. I think it's sort of like is a rational argument to make is the fact that you know you've got access to healthcare and hence you use healthcare more often, um, and there is an element of that. But it's not necessarily the. It's not necessarily the case that people seek out more healthcare simply because they have access to insurance. Have access to insurance, um, but I think where they go for healthcare is different depending on what they what what, what they have access oh. what they have access to. So if I take two people, one is insured, one isn't insured. What the data is telling us that the person who's not insured and is having a had a cough for the last week and it's simply not getting better, their first port of call is probably going to be the pharmacy. See a pharmacist describe their symptoms and, and get medication to treat the cough symptoms. The, the, the other person who has health insurance has access to a doctor and hence would probably go to the GP to get a diagnosis and a script and then go to the, to the pharmacy. So it, I think there is an element of you access what you have access for, but I don't necessarily think it's a case that simply because you have access that you use more of, more of, the, more of the service necessarily. That makes perfect sense. And it has been a really great discussion. Uh, I think I've learned, uh, you know, quite a bit uh, personally, As, especially, you know, around, I guess, gauging, you know, uh, affordability, especially between, you know, those that are paying out of pocket and those that are, you know, are part of a medical scheme. I hadn't, you know, thought about it from uh, that point of view. Anything else to add on your side before yeah. we close off? I think that the one thing that I find sort of interesting when it comes to health insurance relative to other forms of insurance is 
the assessment that goes into it is, is slightly different because it doesn't just consider the financial needs, but it also considers the health needs. And hence kind of like the price becomes such an issue in many instances, in many instances, because the health, you have to consider both in, in, um, in combination as opposed to, as opposed to being separate. And what's interesting is in, in recent times, and in particular, since we've seen a sharp rise in um, interest rates in South Africa, um, one very interesting thing that we've noted is that um, there's a, there seems to be a correlation between rising interest rates yeah. and rising utilization in the medical in the medical scheme, really? which was interesting for us. And it um, now when I say it like that, it may sound like just because interest rates are going up, people are using healthcare more often. <laughs> but yeah. what is actually happening? is that the mix of people on the medical scheme is changing. And what I mean by that is as interest rates are rising, the debt or the burden of servicing household debt increases. And of course, households then have to reprioritize their budgets in order to meet that rising cost of debt in order to keep up with mortgage payments, car financing payments, etc. If you're a, if you're a person in poor health, and you're actively using the healthcare system and your medical scheme is paying for that, you're going to prioritize your medical scheme contribution in that budget and probably look for other spaces to kind of save. If you're a healthy person that haven't used the healthcare system in the last two years, that's probably a space where you're going to look at, maybe I can pay less to the medical scheme. Maybe I don't have to be on the medical scheme. Um, and hence kind of cut back on your, um, the contribution that you're making towards the medical scheme. And what that does effectively is it changes the mix of people on the medical scheme, yeah. biased towards those that use healthcare more often, as opposed to those that use healthcare less often. Yeah. And you see a sharper increase in the use of healthcare correlated with, with um, the rising interest rates. And then when we took it back to a period when we saw declining interest rates in South Africa, we saw the opposite. We saw declining utilization. And again, it's because a function of people have more money available in their budgets and hence they're not looking to save on their medical scheme contributions. And the mix of people then are sort of biased towards the healthy. So an interesting, another, I guess, interesting observation to kind of think about sort of the second order effects of what's happening in the economy on the cost of, on the cost of um, healthcare and the cost of medical scheme contributions in yeah. particular. No, it's very interesting. Before I let you go, I do need to ask if the... Um because I think I don't think I'm the only one who's ever wanted this one. What is the difference between medical insurance and medical aid? <laughs> I'm sure this is like a, this is like a medical aid 101 type of question, but yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very relevant question. Um, the the answer lies in I guess how they're regulated. Um, so maybe I'm overcomplicating the answer, unfortunately, but the answer lies in, in how they're regulated. Medical schemes, medical aids, are regulated by the Medical Schemes Act um, and its regulations. The regulator to medical schemes is the Council for Medical Schemes and the Council for Medical Schemes reports to the Department of Health. Yeah. Um, they're regulated as um, community trusts, which means that they cannot make a profit they can only pay healthcare, healthcare services, um, and whatever surplus or losses it generates has to be funded by the by the members of that of that medical of that medical scheme. So a medical scheme acts almost like a not-for-profit trust in terms of that the contributions go in, fund healthcare expenses, and what the administrators of the medical scheme tries to do is to kind of 
make sure that the no amount of contributions that come in is just enough to pay for the healthcare expenses. And if there's a surplus, then it remains in the medical scheme for the benefit of the, of the member. So that's medical schemes. When it comes to health insurance, that's regulated by the, um, under the Long-Term Insurance Act or the Short-Term Insurance Act, um, which is um, regulated by the um, Financial Sector Conduct Authority, um, who, reports to, who reports to Treasury. Um, there is an exemption arrangement by which certain rules have been laid down according to which health insurance has to be operated and that exemption arrangement is managed by the Council for Medical Schemes. So it's kind of a dual, dual regulation. But when it comes to insurance, it's, a, it's different to the medical scheme in that the underwriter, the insurer that offers the product can make a profit on it. Yeah. So there is a profit element to the insurer in health insurance where there's no profit element in medical schemes. I think that last point is probably like the simplest way to, des <laughs> to describe it, but effectively, but it's important for people just to understand the difference between the two. There are many other things, differences. You know, medical schemes offer prescribed minimum benefits. Health insurers don't have to, um, and hence the cost of health insurance is typically much lower than the cost of medical scheme membership. Okay. On that educational note, that's where we end off uh, today's discussion. It's really been a great one, um, you know, understanding the state, um, you know, of the economy as it pertains to health. Um, we got a little bit, you know, academic, you know, uh, somewhere in the discussion, but I think it's very important, especially just making people understand, um, you know, what's going on. Um, that correlation that was drawn about interest rates going up and, you know, utilization, that was, that was an interesting one. I actually wouldn't have thought. I would have thought it would go in the opposite uh, direction. Um, and then also at the same time, understanding, you know, that last point. Um, and I think, put simply, medical aid, non-profit, medical insurance, for-profit. And, and I think that's how I'm just going to, um, you know, frame it, uh, frame it in my head. But the big um, picture... Uh, that we are just talking about and addressing is the fact that, um, you know, people, uh, a lot of people are in poor health and, um, you know, access uh, to medical care is very important. One of the points that uh, Dion made is the fact that um, we do exist in a situation where people are, um, you know, spending more time, um, you know, with, uh, especially, I think you mentioned non-communicable diseases or lifestyle diseases, uh, the chronic illness. Um, you know that uh, that are plaguing us at the moment as being one of the biggest draws um, when it comes to people's health and then in turn people's pockets because um, they're seeking out uh, you know the medical care you know on that front. Very fascinating discussion about age and you know all of that. I I enjoyed that piece and then you know also just talking about um, you know the fact that we do exist in an economy where some people rely on me on. Uh, you know, having insurance in place, whereas other people can go and pay for medical expenses out of pocket. So that's been it. It has been a fascinating conversation. We're talking to Dion Kotza, who is the Chief uh, Product Officer for Discovery Health. Dion, thank you so much for being with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you.
And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter with hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, Myself and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.